Hello, welcome to Hattrick. I'm Jordan Della Coltman, joined by Elliot Tanti. Braden is off this week. Before we get going, Elliot, I have to ask you, it was Hall it is Hall of Fame weekend this weekend. The Sedine twins, Roberto Luongo, and Daniel Alfredson are among the inductees this year, the NHL inductees to the Hockey Hall of Fame. Do you have any favorite Roberto Luongo memories as a former citizen of Vancouver? You were here sort of during his his glory days, if you will. He was the captain for two years. Obviously a bigger-than-life character. Bobby Lou memories? Uh, So I think my memories of him actually are, like, come after he was in Vancouver. Like, when he had all, like, the less pressure, and he was just in Florida, and he was just hanging out, and he became really active on Twitter. And I loved his Twitter account. I'll never forget... (laughs) I think Sam Gagne or something, someone got traded out of Edmonton, but it was sort of like a flip to a flip for another team. And Roberto Luongo just tweeted at the player with three emojis, which was like snow because he was coming from Edmonton, tropical because he was going somewhere down south, and then lightning or something like that to signal wherever he was going or the hurricanes or something. And I just thought it was the most brilliant tweet and so funny. He was so good on that medium. Uh, and just he's just a character and he, I, I think you know there's always this talk around like whether you win a Stanley Cup or not and what that means I think Roberto Luongo was really good for hockey in lots of different ways certainly one of those players who was kind of polarizing at different points in his career I think uh, I know for myself as a hockey fan not a big Roberto Luongo fan when he played against my team in Vancouver but you you can't discredit the impact and kind of role he had here and then obviously like the roller coaster like a lot of Vancouver players that his career here was in the way it also ended sort of in tumult with uh John Tortorella benching him for the Heritage Classic and he clearly wanted out but he had this absolutely horrific like 18 year long contract he retires in Florida and still costs Vancouver money anyway Congratulations to all of the inductees to the Hall of Fame. We got a good show for you here. Let's get right to it. Here's topic one. Okay, so we're going to start with, uh, we've been, we were off last week. So some things that have sort of unfolded in the last couple of weeks we wanted to talk about. Um, the big one for us this week was obviously the signing and then dismissal of Mitchell Miller uh, in Boston. He basically was signed for all of three days. Um, Cam Neely and the organization there in Boston drafted this player knowing full well that he was being accused of basically like serial bullying and harassment. Uh, He was later charged and convicted, uh, had to do um, community service for, for the conviction Um, to give context for those who don't really know uh, he, he was convicted of bullying systemically built or not systemically, but um, uh, repeatedly bullying Um, a fellow hockey player, a black fellow hockey player uh, who he played minor hockey and and then uh, sort of club hockey with leading up to uh, leading up through his career. Um, A young man named Isaiah Meyer Crothers. uh, They played together in, in, at various points throughout high school and Crothers uh, Myers Crothers accused him of basically bullying him for the time they were in like junior high school together, um, making incredibly, um, disgusting and, and degrading racist remarks, constantly using race as the sort of, I think the, 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 uh, weapon or the, 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 the motivation behind much of the, um, berating and bullying that, that this young man faced at, at, um, Miller's hands. Obviously, mm-hmm. as I say, they were aware of these accusations at the time of drafting him. So it was a bit controversial to begin with there. 
but it wasn't until this season that they chose to sign him. When they did, obviously, there was immediate condemnation and outrage on Twitter, a lot of pushback and confusion as to why something had changed, considering this player has now been convicted of this. Uh, and Boston came out very defiantly at first, saying that they had done their due diligence, that they had spoken to all the necessary parties, and that they felt like it was, it was their opportunity to give this young man an, a, a, you know, a fresh start and a new opportunity. But of course, that was immediately rebuked by the parents and the family of uh, Meyer Crothers, who came out and basically said, we have not been spoken to at once by any member of the Boston organization. No one has spoken to us. And uh, and so then, of course, it exploded again, being like, well, then who did Boston talk to? They cited several charities, organizations, um, including sort of a diversity organization that they uh, had that they claimed he had you know, gone to work for. Turned out later, those are the organizations he had been court assigned to do his community service through. It wasn't like he had suddenly reformed and gone to try to make himself better. He was doing his court assigned hours with these organizations and multiple members from those organizations also came forward and said, Boston never asked us. They never made it. They, they, they're they using our names now as proof that this young man had somehow reformed his life, but he had, we would not have recommended him. So it became very ugly and very messy for Boston. Um, I'm going to later, I'll, I'll read a, a, a um, sort of a, a release or a, a response to this from the um, Hockey Diversity Alliance, which of course came to uh, prominence following um, the, the Black Lives Matter movement that happened during COVID. But before I do that, Elliot, when you first heard about this story and, and sort of saw it unfold here, what were your initial thoughts and, um, and, and where are you at with it now? Uh you know, I was really surprised that an organization of this standing, given everything that's been going on in hockey and all the conversations that we've been having over the last of the, a few years, uh, would lie, which is what they did here. They misrepresented the organ the conversations that they'd had, the work that they had done around this individual, uh, and uh, putting the actions of the individual aside for a moment, which I will get to. Um, the, uh, the, the, the behavior by Boston and, 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 and lying to the general public to try and justify, uh, you know, something that they hadn't obviously done any thought around, um, because it was, it's thoughtless to, to, to one, not engage and two to then lie about it afterwards when you know, you're going to get called out. Like, what did they think? They're just too big. And that no, everyone was just going to accept that they'd had these conversations. That to me is just reprehensible and just awful. That's the first piece of this. I mean, I thought the response from the team, the players themselves, was quite strong. You could tell in the room people were very angry with what had happened. And the players uh, from, you know, from the top down made really clear that this was not an individual that they wanted on their team. That I did like, and I, did, I would stand by that. You know, I just want to note that this individual had a long time to do the work that was required outside of what was court mandated, i.e. have a conversation with the individual that you bullied um, and, and address this situation. And they never did. In fact, they only ever seemed to have any sort of remorse, any of you even called this remorse, uh, when the, their career or their hockey life was, uh, or, or, you know, they, they were looking at this considerable um uh, punishment or their hockey careers on, on the line. Uh, and I think that's reprehensible and that the Boston didn't know that before signing this person was uh, just a mess, just terrible. Yeah. And as you say, I, I misspoke earlier. He, he, he had already pleaded guilty this prior to being drafted. So it's the, the Boston Bruins knew full well what they were getting uh, with this individual. And then to, again, to, 
to sort of double down on it by trying to sign him. It, it shows not only a complete and utter lack of more, sort of moral character and integrity from that organization, but I think moreover, it's also just a terrible misjudgment of where we are as a society and moreover in hockey specifically, yeah. you know, I, again, I don't know why any of these things surprise me anymore. We, we, we've seen time and time again, we've talked time and time again on this show about how hockey has continually began to, to draw back the curtain on so many of its own dark secrets and its own sort of failings as, as a sport, as organizations, you know, across the board. Um, and yet we still find ourselves here. I, I will say very quickly, the NHL uh, pushed back. Gary Bettman came out pretty much immediately and said that they were, would they would be instantly reviewing this contract and that he from as far as he was concerned uh miller was not nhl eligible based on their current policy so at least it was nice to see that some of the uh um previous incidents have informed current policy for the nhl obviously you know the fact that the contract was approved to begin with is a question that needs to be answered um but over, over all of that, I'm not going to read the entirety of this Hockey Diversity Alliance statement. It's quite long, but it's easy to find online. So I would encourage you all to go find it. I'm just going to give you two quicker excerpts from it. And I quote, first and foremost, we want to express how deeply sorry we are for the Isaiah Meyer Crothers and his family. We will never truly be able to comprehend their pain when Mitchell Miller coldly and systematically harassed and abused Isaiah, a young black man with a disability. In 2022, when reports of his harassment and abuse first surfaced, the Hockey Diversity Alliance reached out to his family and have offered support to him. Members of the organization have stayed in touch with them and over and the past week we have continued to reconnect. Uh, end quote. Let me jump forward. Uh, and they also said, uh, again, quoting, sadly, Isaiah and his family were not in the thoughts of the Boston Bruins. If they had been in if they had been, then the team's management would, would have at the very least reached out to them before signing Miller. They should have been a matter to, of not just due diligence, but also, and more importantly, human decency. If the Bruins had talked to the family, their executives would have quickly recognized the contradictions and lies in the accounts from Miller and his representatives, end quote. So pretty strong words, very clear statement. Obviously an organization that's doing a lot of really good work in the sport. But again, going back to what you said, um, disappointment doesn't really suffice uh, in this situation. But in the end, the right thing is done. He's not going to play in the NHL. And let me just note, and, and I've been clear about this on the show, and, and it's my personal belief, people deserve second chances. People deserve third sure. chances. People deserve fourth chances. I made this point before, but I just want to make it again. But you don't get to have those chances unless you put in the work. And that's the problem here. It's not that a young man made some really terrible decisions and was systematically brutalized another young person. That is a problem and that, 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 that's reprehensible. But what I think is more troubling is that the work has not been done outside of what was mandated by a court. And that is what you need to do to earn a second choice in my books. I think that's a very fair and, and uh, some sums it up for me as well. I, I think that you're absolutely right on second chances need to be earned. Um, these, they shouldn't just be handed out opportunities need to be taken to um, make amends, make, make oneself better um, to make, make up for 
one's failings. Look, we're all human. We've all made mistakes. In this situation, though, this is more than a mistake. It was a crime. He has paid his punishment to some degree, but that doesn't just mean that you get to walk away from it as if it hasn't happened. You know, in any other line of work, uh, someone with a criminal background, someone with a conviction against them, in every other job in the world, they, they have to work twice as hard just to get a job in many situations, especially circumstances where we're dealing with people who are not white in, in our world, not privileged in our world. People who have committed crimes, uh, whether they come from a minority background or they come from some type of marginalized community, go talk to somebody who's tried to just get a job working at a 7-Eleven or working you know, a day shift as a, as a waiter or something, following some kind of conviction, whether that conviction is uh, you know, for minor drug possession or, or, or something more severe. The point is, at the end of the day, the privilege of being an NHL hockey player must remain that. It should be a privilege. It should not be just given uh, to people who have clearly demonstrated that they are not worthy of that privilege. I appreciate that it's a business. I appreciate that they are talent-based reward systems in place for these organizations. But at the end of the day, we are at a new place where we must constantly be thinking about the impact of the decisions these organizations are making, not only for the individuals involved, but for the bigger communities that they serve and that they represent. And that's what I think this comes down to. I think Boston fans were done a disservice by this situation. I think the players, as you mentioned, and several of them did speak out against this decision, were done a disservice by their management. Um, and if I was the owner of the Boston Bruins, I would be having some very serious conversations with my management team moving forward about how to um, avoid making these kind of mistakes by making themselves perhaps more educated and better in terms of the policies and plans they have. Because all they have done, as far as I'm concerned, is re-traumatize and re-hurt a family and an individual who's already been the victim of a crime through pure and utter ignorance. I'll leave it there for me. Any final thoughts, Elliot? Well said. All right, that's topic one. All right, Elliot. We're going to get us set up here for topic two, but before we do, we got to make our pick of the week sponsored by BetStamp. We got the Washington Commanders, obviously the underdogs, taking on the very dominant Philadelphia Eagles. Who you got? Oh, I got to take the Commanders. I think this is the week that the streak ends for Philadelphia. This has to be it. I love it. So if you head over to the BetStamp right now, you can shop the lines. What does that mean? It means you can look across all the different sports betting apps, websites out there, and all in one place, they're going to show you the best odds and help you line shop. The, the way you gotta think about this is like kayak. When you go to buy a flight, you don't just book the first flight from Vancouver to Washington to go watch this game. No, you go to a website that's gonna give you all the best prices and then you can shop around. This app makes it simple. Betstamp is incredibly easy to use. It lines it all up for you. Let's do it right now. You wanna take the commanders. Well, here's your best odds. Sports Interaction right now has them at plus 415. If you were to well, bet you somewhere that, else- you did that fast. It's incredibly easy. You just pop it open. You pick the game you want to go to. N1 bet right now would only give you a line of a plus 359. So again, going through this app makes it incredibly easy to use. You get the best price. You can also manage your bets right here. You click on the app, the bet you want to make. You go to that place. You place your bet, and you can track it in the, in the app. You can track whether the line changes up to game time. Maybe you want to change your bet. Maybe you want to put a little bit more money on it, make it a little more spicy. All in one place. You can line shop. You can track your bets. You know you're getting the best price. 
and it makes it incredibly easy. You can also find tips from other betters. Other people can share their lines. Maybe you want you know, follow somebody else down uh, into a, a, another kind of parlay deal or something like that. They've got all of it lined up there for you on BetStamp. Head over there right now. And if you do, you sign up today, use the code ORDINARY at sign up to let them know we sent you. All right, here's topic two. <clears throat> all right, Elliot. We're going to spend a whole topic now talking about your hot take there that the commanders are going to win against. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I don't know. That's a bold take. That's a bold take. I got three bold takes for you. And that's what this topic is going to be. I got three bold takes. It's a hat trick of takes, if you will, about the Edmonton Oilers. And I want you to sound off on each of them. You ready? Done. All right. Let's here's number. It. Here's number one. I don't think this one's particularly controversial. Connor McDavid is the best player in hockey and might be pound for pound the best hockey player we've ever seen now i know everyone wants to get all tied up in a knot about no you can't compare him to gretzky yet he hasn't won a cup no you can't compare to gretzky yet he doesn't have any of the this records all that that's fair but when comparing players in different generations it's it's very hard to do that we've done that before on the show it's it's not easy here's the truth of the matter for me though compared to his peers gretzky was miles and miles ahead compared to his peers I think Connor's just pulling further and further away from his current peers. There's a lot of good hockey players right now in the NHL that do a lot of very specific things really, really well. Look, we've got who will probably end up being the greatest scorer of all time in the NHL in Ovechkin. We just saw the Oilers play in the other night. He's still playing and he's fantastic. We look at Austin Matthews and what he's been doing in the last couple of years. Not so much this year so far, but very dominant player. Look just onto the other side of the ice, some shifts in Edmonton. You've got Leon Dreisaitl, who arguably is one of the most creative and, uh, and, and, and just fantastic passers, playmakers, make, maker of opportunities offensively in the league right now. But what Connor does night in and night out when he wants to score at will, dominate at will, take games over, take shifts over, and change the complexion. You watch how defenses have to adjust to him. You watch how goaltenders adjust their, their play against him. And I'm sure every single coach and every single assistant coach is out there pre-scouting. The, the work that has to be done to contain this player is unlike anybody else in the game. And I believe very strongly right now, he's the best player in hockey. I think right now you're totally right. And I think right now he's demonstrated, you know, he does demonstrate that sort of uh, arms or shoulders and head above the rest of the group. I just would caution you that we're a month in, you know, and, and he's had a very hot start to the season, 15 goals in 16 games. I think it is right now or something like that. And he's going to be at 20 before, um, you know, the, the end of November, you know, if he stays on this pace and continues to score and, and that, that's great. Um, but he will cool off and he will come back to zero to ground. And, and, but if we're, if you're coming back here and we're doing three hot takes in January, and he's still, you know, he's got 30 goals in 40 games or something like that, uh, then you're right. Then you're right. He's maintaining it. And that in and of itself, it's one thing, like, he has the seal, the highest ceiling. But what's crazy about what he's doing right now is just the consistency of it. I just want to see that continue. Because I'm an Oilers fan, and it's so much fun. But also, um, you know, I think that that only strengthens your argument as we go on. Otherwise, I don't think it's that hard. I think he is. I think he is substantially better this year than even he was last year mm. there like he right now Absolutely. is only chasing his future self as far as i'm concerned like that is how talented he is how skilled he is and how he is continuing to get bigger the big observation i made i think i made it a couple weeks ago on this show is like he is physically 
more of a man. He has grown into a bigger frame. He's put weight on. He is stronger on the pucks. He is more dominant in play, which makes him a more versatile centerman. You know, he used to have to really just make space with his feet. Very, very skilled and very, very talented with his feet. But now he's added an additional weapon. He's on pace right now for 90 goals. Now, will he score 90 goals? No, but he will probably score 60. And that for Connor McDavid was unthinkable two years ago. People were like, oh, he's going to get his points. Probably going to score 60. I would love if he's Okay, well, then there's my hot take. I'm going to say it right now. Connor McDavid will score 60 goals this year if he stays healthy. That's the caveat. He's got to stay healthy. But the way he's playing right now, I mean, he's averaging 1.8 goals a game. Yeah. He's on pace for 50 and 50, which is ridiculous. We didn't think we'd be talking about that in a maybe ever again. He's he's. I think he's got more hat tricks right now this season already than he had all of last year. He's just out there doing things and making things happen. The question obviously is does losing a guy like Evander Kane hurt him? Cause they've had some good shifts. They've obviously made some things work on the power play occasionally, but that's there. All right, let's jump to my second hot take for you and see how you think about this. I believe currently the best goaltender in Edmonton is Stuart Skinner. And I would also, here's my hot take on it. I believe if the Edmonton Oilers win a Stanley Cup this year, Stuart Skinner might be the starting goaltender in the playoffs because that's what right now he is at that level. He is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, certainly right now, I I wouldn't disagree with you. He is the best goalie. Uh, You see this sometimes, though. Goalies move, and it takes them a year to sort of figure it out. Look at Markstrom and Calgary. you know, that's the most recent example of that. Someone who's very good, but took a year to figure it out. I think Campbell will figure it out. But I'm really excited about the future of goaltending here. And I'm really excited about Stuart Skinner. And uh, you need two good goalies to win in this league the, uh, these days. And uh, that's a recent change. Uh, and the others have got him. Well, hot take came, uh, another hot take came in from Wayne Gretzky about Stuart Skinner. I wanted to give you that quote. You, uh, you may have watched the game the other night. He was on at the intermission with Gene and Bob Stoffer, and he mentioned that his brother, Keith Gretzky, who's obviously the assistant general manager for the Oilers, general manager down in Bakersfield, was very, very adamant last year that Stuart Skinner was the best player in the entire AHL last year, that he just absolutely dominated against every opponent he faced. And when you have that kind of confidence in a, in a young guy stepping up and then you see the opportunity he's been given here, he's the bona fide backup. He's, he's come in here to be an NHL goaltender. And he is, I mean, you talk about Campbell coming in, being a new guy here. Well, Stewart's a new guy. Sure. He knows some of these players and sure. He's played some games for the Oilers, but those were all little, you know, cups of coffee while he was tending, you know, the, the, the net holding the fort down for an injured Mike Smith or a, a shaky Mike Miko Koskinen. The truth is this is now an opportunity, his opportunity to be an NHL guy. And more so, I think, than Campbell, he has taken uh, his opportunities in the net with the Oilers to demonstrate how good he is. They seem to play way more confidently in front of him. Um, and he's just he just he looks solid right now. Very, very solid. Yeah, I do think he looks solid, and he's making big saves because those defense has, has been hanging both goalies out to dry. Um, and you know, I gotta say that. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with you. I don't think I don't think it's even a hot take anymore. I think the data and the sample size is large enough that we can say, yeah, Stuart Skinner has had a much better start to the year, and he's won the job. He's made more of the opportunity. Just don't write off Jack Campbell yet. All right, here's my final one for you, uh, and this one might be a bit controversial, but I I'm okay with that. I, I think very, I th- here's my take. I believe the Edmonton Oilers uh, 
regardless of how quickly Vander Kane recovers from what sounds like a very, very serious uh, laceration to his wrist, apparently cut to the bone, ligaments, nerves, arteries, everything sliced. Typically, it's about a three to four month recovery for this. That would put us in what? Uh, late February, right? I believe the Edmonton Oilers should shut Evander Kane down regardless of when he's ready. And I don't want to see Evander Kane again in an Oilers uniform until game one of the Stanley Cup playoffs because I think that they should take that money and they should go and get themselves another bona fide NHL star. Play the Kucherov rule. The NHL doesn't want to change it. They're afraid to change the CBA to get rid of this. Look, man, you want to be a, you want to be a winner. Sometimes you got to be a hustler. And the deal here is as long as there's a loophole, you got to jump through it. Ken Holland needs to go out there, find a disgruntled star on some other team that they don't want to keep signing a rental player, sign him, go trade him, trade for him, get a genuine replacement for Evander Kane for the rest of the regular season. And then you have two weapons, a healthy Evander Kane. Look, people will be like, oh no, but you got to give him some time before the playoffs. Get out of here. Evander Kane only played a quarter of the Oilers schedule last season and he was one of their best players while he did it. Evander Kane on rest is dangerous. I would love the Oilers to go get a big name, attach him to that top six and when Evander Kane comes in healthy you can drop out a Pooley you can drop out whoever else has worked up in there and you can go into the playoffs overloaded that's my hot take that's unethical Jordan but I don't necessarily disagree with you uh so what who like Patrick Kane is that who you're thinking or is it is there someone else I mean you know we, we don't have to list a bunch of names right now but sure. yeah I I think that uh I, I don't know that it's necessarily even a hot take. It was the, the first thing on Oilers radio the next morning, all the, all the morning shows here in the sports guys are all talking about just exactly that. Like how long is he out for? And does that mean they can bring someone in or whatever his cap hit is which is like 5 million or something like that too. I, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I sort of um, with you, um, whatever it takes to win. And I'm not worried about Kane being shut down an entire year and then coming in on the playoffs. That's not a concern for me. In fact, I think it's probably better. Um, but you have to find a doctor that says that they simply cannot play for that long, right? And you have to go through that. And the NHL will investigate it, and it will look suspect. It will look suspect. So I don't think you need a doctor. You just need a physio. You need a player who says he doesn't feel fit to play. I mean, they're going to do it. They're, I think Here's what I think. Ken Holland has said they're not going to do it. But I think you just sit there and you wait for Bick. Oh, maybe he had a setback. Oh, that's tough. Oh, trade deadline. We don't know if Evander Kane's going to be back in time for the playoffs, so we got to get someone now. And then boom, you do it at the trade line. He's not going to do it tomorrow. He's not going to do it at Christmas. It will be at the trade deadline or you know somewhere in the lead up to that uh, if he does it. And I think it will depend on how Kane is actually doing. Um, and uh, yeah, but I, I I don't know that I like it. Uh, but it's a hot take. I love it. <laughs> All right. Hey, if you're out there and you got another hot take and you think you've got a better one, then please hit us up on social media. Let us know what you think your hottest take is. That's topic two. Hey, Tyler. Yeah. Do you like basketball? Do I? Well, you're going to love this then. The Backyard Basketball Podcast has returned for its second season. Christian Steck and Braden Deller Coltman talk hoops every week 
of the NBA season. No topic from the hard court is off limits. So if you love basketball, then this show is for you. You can subscribe today anywhere you get your podcasts or learn more on our website, ordinarypodcasts.com. Okay. All right. Topic three here. We're about two weeks away from the kickoff of the World Cup. Uh, We will have a full sort of prep episode, let's call it, next week. Uh, get ourselves really ready for kickoff. Obviously, it's very exciting uh, as soccer fans in this country will get to watch a national team compete for the first time since the 80s uh, in many, many young fans' lives. Uh, this will be the first opportunity to actually cheer for their home country if you're a Canadian. Uh, a lot of, I think there's a lot of Canadian soccer fans out there who have gone back to their like ancestral roots most World Cup years to cheer for whomever, or maybe they just pick the favorites and jump on whatever bandwagon has room. But this year you could cheer for your own team. The team was announced this week in the 26-man roster that will go to Qatar. John Herdman making official who would be there. Uh, as mentioned, they will kick off the tournament on November 23rd against Belgium. That's world number one ranked Belgium. And then they will also face Croatia on November 27th. And then they will finish group play against Morocco on December 1st. Elliot, before we talk about who is on this team, because I'm sure you have much analysis of every 27 or 26 members. But before we get to that, you were at Commonwealth for one of these uh, qualifying matches. What was that? A year ago, two years ago, feels like a long time. This is what it was all built up for as we're getting ready. How excited are you on like a scale of one to five for what's coming in two weeks? Oh, five. I'm so stoked. I I, I watched the world cup soccer for, for years. I, I have European roots. My wife is from Germany and is a major, you know, this is a very important thing. I've been in Europe during the World Cup on uh, twice, and uh, that in and of itself is something incredibly special. Uh, no, I, I'm really, really, really excited about this. And as you said, to be able to cheer for our own team and our own nation in, in the World Cup, something I never thought I would ever get to see not seriously like we you know we've never really as a country had a a legitimate shot at even getting to the world cup um you know and so uh we've never even really been close in my lifetime so um to not only have been close but actually get there and just channeling like you have to understand like I have been going to commonwealth stadium my entire life and that experience was one of the most unique experiences I have ever had at, at, at Commonwealth. You know, the closest thing I could remember, I, 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 I you know, compare it to was uh, I went to a Grey Cup game when it was hosted here in Edmonton uh, when I was, when I was young and just the massive humanity that was there was, is just like uh, incredible. It's like a Western final against Calgary, uh, kind of energy. There was like 55,000 people and it was minus 15 or whatever. Uh, it was last year, by the way. And it was so amazing. And so to think that, you know, that, and that energy has been consistent across the country when they played in Vancouver, when they played in Edmonton, when they played out in Toronto, there's lots of people very excited about this that have bought uh, in uh, hook, hook, line and sinker. And, uh, you know, and then, Canada's best player is from Edmonton, which is also the best thing, the coolest thing too. And obviously Alfonso Davies was named alongside his teams uh, today. And a lot has been made of, you know, his story 
and uh, being an immigrant coming to Edmonton and, and now, you know, and could never imagine that he'd be playing in the World Cup and now he's there. So, you know, there's so many great stories heading in. So many exciting things. Canada's never scored a goal in the World Cup. So I'm very excited for that moment. If should it happen, knock on wood, I really hope it does. I'd love to see, well, I'd love to see Canada win a game too. Um, but even just to score a goal and what that moment will mean for this country uh, from a sports history standpoint will be uh, remarkable. So yeah, super excited. Just this is, this is what, 40, 35 years in the making. Now, neither of us obviously are experts enough in the uh, intricacies and the depth of the available talent for uh, soccer Canada to pick from for us to make any kind of adjust or uh, judgments on the players picked and the players not picked. But overall, I mean, for each of these guys, it's got to just be an absolute dream come true and beyond a dream come true, like a, like an un, like a, like a dream you almost couldn't even have dreamed for, for so long, right? Generation upon generation, literally probably two or three generations of soccer players before them. If you weren't, you know, in your early 20s or early 30s in the 1980s, you didn't have a chance at this anyway. It was never going to happen. And here these guys have overcome all of that adversity. They've put together an unbelievable couple years to get themselves to this place. I want to read you the tweet Alfonso Davies had yesterday after officially being, you know, it was obviously made official. It very much a foregone conclusion that the 22-year-old Bayern Munich striker was going to make this team. He's the best player this country's probably ever seen on the men's side. This was his tweet. A kid born in a refugee camp wasn't supposed to make it here, but here we are going to the World Cup. Don't let no one tell you that your dreams are unrealistic. Keep dreaming. Keep achieving. If that doesn't get you going, I don't know what will. Look, Alfonso Davies is going to be there. As you say, Kyle Lahren's going to be there. All the big names let's not say it's a surprising name, but one of the guys that apparently was kind of on the bubble, who was very emotional to make the team, Liam Frazier, 24 year old, uh, John Herdman did speak about him uh, briefly in one of his conversations after the, the uh, pick was made. He said, I quote, I definitely like what Liam Fraser had very strong performance. We need to see what level he was opening at. That was really important. I thought his second half performance is one of the shining lights in, in this performance. Look, this is a guy who may or may not have made the team a couple of days ago, played well in, in, in one of their, uh, um, sort of warm-up games here where he was sort of testing out some of the bubble players. He makes a team. What a dream come true. It's got to be fantastic. Down, Up and down this roster, regardless of whether or not you are a, you know, football fan, a soccer fan, there is, there is like good, true human interest stories all the way throughout it, you know. Uh, guys who have been here before, guys not not the World Cup, but guys who have had these. Every time Canada's tried to get here, they've seen it slip away. You know, thirty-five-year-old Milan Borian, who's the goaltender there, one of the oldest guys on this team, has just become kind of this general in the back with these young troops in front of him, who are just these athletic, young, exciting players. I'm I'm so excited for it. Let's let's do this. We're going to do a full preview next week, obviously, but really quickly here, you got Belgium, Croatia, and Morocco. What, what should we expect from this team? What are they capable of? I mean, I think you'd be, you know, you, a goal. <laughs> wow. This is, this is what I mean. Here's what I'd say. I'd say uh, Belgium is going to be very incredibly difficult uh, opponent and they will be ready. And as you said, you know, best team in the world. Many have picked them to win the world cup this year. Um, you know what? A surprise would be nice. If they could get a victory, that's outstanding. Uh, you know, maybe a draw against, 
you know, one of the better teams, and you know, it could would be interesting as well too. It's really tough to say because we just don't know. But this is what this is about, right? Like when you're talking about this team and this young, this young group of people that have come together, with a few exceptions, as you noted. Honestly, we're not. This wasn't supposed to happen this fast, and this is this is sort of just like gravy for this this program and this team. This is this is the experience so that the next time isn't their first experience, right? They're going to get the media craziness that's going on in that. They're going to they're going to deal with you know, the, you know the, what it means to be at a World Cup, the largest sporting event in the world. They're going to feel what it's like to have all the world watching you. They're going to you're going to feel the ups and downs of playing against the best teams at their peak. Uh, which is not something that you normally get to do the best national teams at their peak and get to see that and get to see the rigor that those other teams have. And, you know, this is a team that's building towards something that isn't necessarily this world cup, but, but this experience is super important in the development of the the soccer program. Um, You got to do your first at some point and it's here and they're going to do it. And, uh, you know, so w- part of what's fun about this is we don't know what the expectations are. They could lose every game. They could win one or two. Who knows? But what's awesome is that we're going to get to watch them. They're going to get that experience. And you've got a young group of people, people like their best players, 22 years old, and no fans of the Davies. We've got 24-year-olds, 26-year-olds. They're going to be back in four years. This team's good enough. And this group of – this core group of players is going to continue to build and grow. And they're going to be better next time. So that's what I'm excited for is just to see that. And I'm, they're kicking off that progression. And you can't, you'll never understand what it's like to be at this type of scale until you experience it. And then the next time it'll be easier, right? And and we'll have a better idea of what the expectations actually are for the team. You you mentioned all of those ages. There's one guy who will definitely not see another one. And that's Atiba Hutchinson who's 39 years old. His quote was very simple. I never dreamed of making the World Cup because it wasn't a dream I thought I could achieve. There, it sums it up right there, right? This was the, they dream the impossible dream here. They make their their opportunity felt, as you say. Anything can happen. I mean, look, this is sports. Yeah. This is sports. We've seen the craziest things happen. You get one bad bounce, you get one bad day. Somebody's off their game. Somebody makes a mistake. Canada could sneak one by one of these teams. They could sneak four past one of these teams and all of a sudden be sitting there with a W in their column. You don't know. Nobody knows, really. I mean, look, the the... They, 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 they will go out there and they will have absolutely nothing to lose. And if there's one thing that's scary in sports, it's a team that has nothing to lose. As far as I'm concerned, I would always rather be the underdog and Canada is the ultimate underdog here. Will they maybe be a little bit, holy smokes, these lights are really bright. Maybe there's a lot of guys here who play in front of a lot of people in Europe. They are used to big, bright lights. Look at Alfonso Davies in Bayern Munich. That's probably one of the biggest clubs in the world. If not the biggest club, he's used to the noise. He's used to the crowds. Will it be different? Sure, it'll be different. It'll be exciting. I think that you're absolutely right. It's a, it's this is a this is a, a little appetizer to what they're going to get when they get to have a, a you know a sort of home World Cup in four years when when Canada will host some of the games and in, in, in North America and and Mexico will host the rest of them. Look, it's exciting either way. The fans are going to turn out for it. I know that. Um, you know, if you're if if you're if you're not excited yet, you need to you need to get behind this team because this is going to be a on just a, I, I think a, a really iconic Canadian sports moment uh, potentially with just what's ca- what 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 these players are capable of in terms of putting out entertaining exciting soccer. It's going to be fun to watch. Are they winning the World Cup? No, they win the World Cup. It'll be the greatest underdog story of all time. Period. End of conversation. They're not winning the World Cup. So set yourself some realistic expectations. But 
winning one of these games would be like winning the World Cup for Canada. <laughs> well, if you win one of these games, honestly, if you win one of these games, you're favored to get out of the group stage. That's so, crazy, right? This tournament's you know. strange, man. Look, I, I'm just excited to see what happens. I'm excited for these young guys. I would like Alfonso Davies to please not play any more soccer before the World Cup. He's had three injuries in the last two months over there in Bayern Munich. Like dangerous, dangerous injuries, a bruised skull at one point, I think. And he had a leg injury. It's like, please protect this man. Uh, we talked about how great Connor McDavid is. Alfonso Davies is the best Canadian soccer is ever going to have. Uh, maybe not ever. That's not fair to say, but he is the best they've ever had so far. And he's incredibly exciting. 22 years old. This kid's got a huge career ahead of him. But man, oh man, wouldn't that be fun? Look, uh, as we said, November 23rd, it gets underway for Canada against Belgium, Croatia the 27th, Morocco December 1st. Marketing your calendars. Do not miss it. Elliot, thank you. Good luck to your Washington commanders tomorrow. We'll see how that goes. You can track I'm your gonna bets. Be, I'm going to be thinking about day. that all day tomorrow. Just like, yeah, do well. that. Great choice. You know what? Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a party next weekend if the Washington Commanders pull this one off. Let me tell you. Well, we're very excited for it. Look, uh, it was awesome to have you all listening. Thank you very much. As always, please you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't already, head over to the Ordinary Podcasting's website. That's ordinarypodcasts.com. Uh, check out the merch store. Go listen to some of our other podcasts. Tyler and Puya will break down the Commanders game. They'll break down football for you every Thursday. Braden and Christian are back uh, every week with the Backyard Basketball Podcast. Lots of fun over there. Uh, we got two more Pit Stop podcasts coming at you. One, uh, I guess at the time of recording this will be Tuesday to tomorrow. And then one more following the season finale in Abu Dhabi. Uh, all of that and more is available over there at the Ordinary Podcast website. Thank you for listening. That was Hatch. Patrick is a member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It's produced every week by Jordan Dyler Coltman and Braden Dyler Coltman. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.